it just it's just all conundrum with this team this year. I know it is very weird. I mean, and that's that's right. When you see like Mike Trout stealing bases, I mean that guy is fast. And but when he's sliding head first into second base, it's like what are you really gaining there? I mean, slide feet first. If you're out a little more often, that I think hurts you a lot less than you know him being out for eight weeks of the season. The the risk reward there is uh, pretty high. Yeah, true. So I mentioned Rosario a little bit. Hopefully, we'll see Smith soon too. Called up, Dominic I, Smith. What we feel, we need to. I feel like we should say like first name. <laughs> just, I guess Smith is a pretty generic last name. <laughs> so hopefully, we'll see Dominic Smith called up uh, in the near future as well, just so we can kind of see really what they have. Like, because the Mets still have to play MLB teams, even if they're not treating the rest of their season like an MLB season. You know, yeah, true. So to see live pitching, and honestly, having Rosario there last night injected like an energy in the fans every time he came up he got the loudest ovation the only thing that was louder throughout the rest of the night was the booze for utley <laughs> um yeah i don't know there's something about having a young shortstop come up i mean it really revitalizes your team i think even if the team is not doing very well that season there's something about that energy that it brings a guy who has a smooth glove and a nice bat and especially if he can throw in a few stolen bases for he's you he's so smooth he's so smooth and there's something that's so fun about that i mean as an a's fan we have a guy like franklin bretto who maybe doesn't have the same sort of glove that a guy like francisco lindor has but i don't know i feel like we're living in this kind of golden age of young really talented shortstops right now where you have guys who can come up and give you production at the plate like actually chip in home runs um but also contribute something in the field you have i mean we had guys like troy tulowitzki before but he played in Colorado and maybe wasn't a defensive wizard or anything like that. And it was like it was like you had him or Andrelton Simmons. And now we have this collection of really young, talented guys who just inject some really good energy into a team. I'm glad you mentioned Tulo because I was gonna say like I feel like I mean Tulo was awesome and like his offensive numbers for a sh- for his position were essentially off the charts. But I also feel like had he been up like during this. Uh, wave of shortstops, I feel like he wouldn't have gotten all the play that he did get at the time. Like, I feel like he was only getting it because there was a vacuum of shortstops at the time. There was, like, Jeter, Andrelton Simmons doing crazy defensive stuff, like you said, and then Tulo just mashing home runs in Colorado. Tulo would look pretty average compared to these guys. And, like, he he came to the AL and was not hitting um, at Coors Field anymore, and he just kind of, like, went off a cliff. I mean, we were watching the Rockies against the Mets the other night, and he's hitting like 220 or something. Like. Yeah, like 240 or something. Yeah, something. I mean, and part of his issue is like <laughs> the guy could never stay healthy. Like, does he have a full major league season under his belt since like, I don't know, he was 23 or something like that? The guy, I, you know, I mean, that's his reputation, right? Is like if you have too low, he's going to be out for a month of the season. So feel bad room about that. But I definitely agree. It's like this. We have this massive wealth of shortstop Seager, Lindor, Correa, uh, and not all of those guys are necessarily defensive wizards or anything like that, but I mean Lindor especially is man, he's fun to watch. Dude, Seager is fucking awesome. Yeah. Just the way he was hitting the ball, he was spraying it to all fields last night and just everything he hits is a line drive. Yeah. His swing is so compact. He looks so composed at the plate. Like he's facing Jacob deGrom who is like a top 5 pitcher in the MLB when when he's not like battling an injury or something like that. And Jake has been good in the last month or two. And just last night, just Seeger did not look phased in any way at all. Like, he came up to play in the first inning, and he just, hit, I think, hit one off the wall, or, like, it bounced on the warning track to, like, left center, too. So he's, like, taking him the opposite way. He's got good speed. Like, 
something to me about these players is just like they have a polished quality that you didn't see that I didn't see from guys like Reyes when he came up, you know? I mean, Reyes was awesome and he was definitely a spark plug. I mean, like the baseball definition of spark plug is like Jose Reyes when he first came up, not Jose Reyes now. Um, (laughs) Seeing Rosario called up has really reminded me just how much of a watered down version of his old self that Reyes has been this year. Just like seeing someone in the center of the field who's like a presence who feel like if they're going to hit it up the middle, like he'll get there. I don't know. Like these, these guys just seem a lot more polished and a lot more ready to contribute uh, like on the big stage. Yeah. And I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe that, I don't know why we have this young group of players who are all coming up at the same time that just happen to be really good. I mean, maybe it's... And at the same position. Like, we didn't even mention Xander Bogarts. Yeah, right. Um, Or these other, I mean, guys like Addison Russell, um, Gene Segura is a good baseball player all of a sudden, right? Like, these random guys who just happen to be really good. And they're more on the way. Guys like Brendan Rodgers, who's in the minors for the Rockies, or... Orlando Arcia, who's the Brewers' young hotshot shortstop, and maybe it's that like the I, guy I, the, the guy the Dodgers just traded away for Darvish wasn't a shortstop; he was a second baseman. I think converted yeah, from yeah, shortstop to Willie Calhoun. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't big enough to play shortstop in the MLB. Essentially, yeah. I mean, he's he's big, just not in the right way. <laughs> <laughs> he's like what, like five five, like two fifteen, something like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Dude has been mashing this year. Yo, shouts to him. Yeah, I I really wonder how much um the data revolution is helping the transition to the big leagues things like the shift are really helping mask players that maybe aren't as good so if Tulowitzki, for example isn't as good as shortstop maybe the premium up on that position isn't as high necessarily because you can mask his defensive deficiencies um, with shifts and that sort of thing which is i think just That's a hard position to mask deficiencies though <laughs> oh, it's a, such a hard especially position, yeah. having watched carrera be like by drs like one of the worst shortstops in the last however many years for the first half of the year that he was still playing shortstop and then them moving Reyes back there and him just like there was a play like a, a few weeks ago where someone just hit a line drive up the middle and it was like two steps to the left of Reyes and it just hit off like the hand of his glove like <laughs> it just tipped it into center field and I'm like like th- these are little league plays man like yeah which sounds like I don't know like who am I to say like oh you should have made that play the bet the ball's probably coming like 100 miles an hour off the bat or whatever but like yeah I and mean, you raise a good point in that I'm sure the analytics revolution has something to do with these players learning their deficiencies earlier and being able to correct for them to the point where they're at least replacement level by the time they get to the MLB. So a guy who can't hit a curveball just wouldn't ever make it to the MLB now. But, you know, back before you had StatCast or um, pitch effects, you might not know that every pitch he was striking out on just by looking at his raw data and and things get lost in the cracks between the minors and the majors in terms of like advanced scouts and just relaying that message. Um, It's not all just like a blind guy, like trouble with the curve, just telling him that he can't (laughs) hit swing at a curveball. So now if you go into his stats and you look deeper and deeper and deeper and, and you could never get to the end with the way that you can look into people's stats now, I think like identifying those characteristics that they don't have yet and developing them at a younger age because some some of these guys are so talented that like you know you tell them to learn how to juggle they learn how to juggle in a day like it's stuff like that where from such a young age they're conditioned to stamp out all of the faults in their game and they're going to like these prospect camps and you know they're learning how to display themselves and I think that is one of the benefits of the analytics revolution and 
you know, at the same time, I'm sure that has some of its detractions too, in the sense that like you don't see as many guys who can play different positions or you don't see, I mean, if you go back to a younger age, you don't see people playing multiple sports because of things like that. At a young age, if all you're focusing on is learning to be perfect at baseball, like you're not going to have time to play basketball or football also. Yeah, which is um, maybe what you see um, guys being able to do a lot more these days. Guys like Jeff Samarja, um, Aaron Judge, these massive guys. But definitely, I mean, the analytics revolution, so to speak, which I'm sure we will say way too much on this podcast, probably really helps that transition where maybe you don't have those couple years of struggling. It's and, and even on a game-by-game basis, it's a lot easier to maybe exploit a pitcher's weaknesses and that sort of thing, which, you know, it makes it a lot more fun to watch, I think. On a game by game basis, you know who, what pitcher it wasn't easy to exploit their weaknesses last night. Uh, you Darvish. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Seven innings, hundred pitches, ten Ks. Yeah, like three hits. Yeah, seriously. Like he just, and he was making them look silly too. Just like the repertoire of off speed pitches that he was using, he looked very comfortable. He looked really bad at the plate, but <laughs> he probably hasn't batted in like two years. And that kind of brings us to trade deadline news. Who do you think really? improve their chances the most of not necessarily just making the playoffs, but just having a successful outcome to the season based off what they expected coming into the season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's hard to say. I really think that the Yankees did a lot. I mean, to, to really lock down their bullpen like that was, I think, a really smart move. I mean, you know, the Dodgers getting you Darvish is, I think, the easy answer because, you know, when it comes to the playoffs, there's no limit to how much you can improve your team, right? I mean, there's so much chance when it comes to the playoffs that adding another ace starting pitcher is, like, <laughs> only going to help you. And what, what are they going to do? They're going to have, like, uh, Kershaw and Darvish and Alex Wood, and then, oh, you'll just have to push someone to the bullpen, push Brandon McCarthy to the bullpen, like, whatever, like that. (laughs) You didn't even say Rich Hill, either. Yeah, Rich Hill, I mean, Hyunjin Ryu, (laughs) Kenta Maeda, like, they have, what, seven good starting pitchers that would easily be a three or higher on any team. The big thing you mentioned there is that, like, adding another ace, it, it can't be negative if you don't give up something at the MLB level. Like, you saw, like, with the A's, like, they gave up, a bat to get an arm they bet on starting pitching helping them and it just kind of tanked from there and they got cold but the Dodgers you're talking about the Cespedes for Lester trade yeah yeah the Dodgers didn't give up anything at the MLB level if anything they didn't even give up what their most valuable pieces at the minor league level like they gave up a guy who was outperforming what they initially anticipated when they got him in their system um in what's I can't remember his name Willie Calhoun yeah and Willie Calhoun to give up from a minor league system that's already rich in talent and Andrew Friedman has made sure of that over the like the last however many years is that he has stuck to the plan of not getting rid of prospects just to help the team win now because their payroll is already so high. They already have such a good MLB pros- uh, an MLB team, and they know that 
as a front office executive, he knows that so much of what happens in baseball is random, and the fact that they got eliminated by a hot 2015 Mets team and a historically good 2016 Cubs team doesn't mean that they need to just panic and go get someone at the trade deadline, right? Yeah. So he's been able to build up that prospect system, and and, and he's still saved the people at the top of that list. So theoretically, like they could still... They, they won't this year because they don't need to, but... At the end of this year, if they were a bad team, you'd see some of these guys getting called up. Like, they're that good. And next year, they will get called up. So when Darvish walks, whatever. You just replace him with your top pitching prospect, like, and you'll be just as good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a really good move. It's not one that I really saw coming, even though it's something that you had mentioned, I think, last week. But it's just not fair. No, it's really not fair. Yeah, so the, the Dodgers, obviously, I mean, they locked down that rotation. They're good. The Yankees made the... the uh, moves for Sonny Gray and the move to uh, bolster their bullpen as well. And that was really smart. And even the Cubs, I think, quietly got better. I mean, you know, the Quintana trade is still a trade deadline move, which he's going to really help the rotation. And they got Justin Wilson from the Tigers there, who was the Tigers closer, who's also been really good. And Alex Avila, who's been randomly tearing it up this year so they quietly got really better and i think you know are going to run away with the division from the brewers eventually even though the cubs lost and the brewers won it's like random (laughs) (laughs) those guys got good but where so what are the chances that we get the cubs eliminating the dodgers this year like what if the cubs just kind of sneak in what if the cubs are the wild card team they win they play the dodgers what happens then you get two like essentially like two titan teams the cubs have underperformed all year but they know they're good and when they get to the playoffs you know they're not really going to panic because it seems like that's a loose team you know from from everything that we've read about them which whatever looseness not a statistic but they're a team that's willing to try weird shit and sometimes weird shit can upset the balance of which team is better so what are the chances we get to the playoffs and the Dodgers just again get eliminated by a team that they probably should beat yeah I mean I hate when people are like oh well man they've been there before like they know it but like the cubs <laughs> they've been there before <laughs> like they know what they're doing in this sort of situation that said no <laughs> the dodgers are so good i mean yeah. i haven't seen a team this good in my lifetime i mean i'm i think we you and i are too young to really remember the seattle mariners team that won 116 games that was you know we were both uh, I mean, what, other than their roster six, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we didn't watch that growing up so this is the best team that i've ever seen and I think a lot of people could say that that this Dodgers team is even better than that Mariners team. I mean, they're going to chase that record for sure. So I mean, that Mariners team lost in the first round of the playoffs, though. No, I, I know they did. And it's pretty rare that you see the best team in baseball uh, win out, like win it all. Yeah. But the Cubs did it last year, and also the Dodgers are way better than that Cubs team. Uh it's kind of ridiculous to even say that. Like the, the fact that the Dodgers are better than that Cubs team is ridiculous. Going into last year, like you and I both kind of thought that the Dodgers would be better than the Cubs anyway. Like I remember like for a whatever, like a staff predictions thing that we did for the sports desk at WSN, like I think both of us picked the Dodgers to make the world. It was like Dodgers Astros or something like that, which is like we were one year early, I guess. I just think like I don't even really know what I think. The Dodgers are so good. (laughs) Watching them last night was so demoralizing because even, like, the players that are not big names on their team are hitting, like, 315. And then, like, Justin Turner, MVP candidate, hitting 350 on the season and now has enough at-bats. Chase Utley hitting home runs against my team. Still, Chase Utley is, like, 40, still playing every day, still 
contributing to like an all-time great team. Like everything is just going right for this team right now. Yeah, their eight hitter is Yasiel Puig. That's not a bad position to be in. Yasiel Puig is hitting 260 with 20 home runs. Like I would take that as my eight hitter. <laughs> Yo, Puig's having a good year. Yeah, yeah. It didn't start Quietly. off so hot, and we were kind of ragging on him a little bit and hoping that he could turn it around. But I mean, you love Puig. Oh, he's so much fun to watch. I mean, how can I? I don't know how you can't love Puig. But, <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> uh, one other thing uh, on the trade deadline before we move on from that is just teams that didn't really do anything to improve their chances. I kind of expected the Astros to do a little more. They didn't really, aside from a move for Francisco Liriano as like a bullpen arm. Like, I mean, I know that they were in the running for Sonny Gray. And they were really looking to bolster that rotation, right? But And we were talking about maybe the possibility of that last week. But I really expected them to do more. I know that they're going to run away th- with that division anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, when you're looking long-term at the playoffs, I mean, they're probably going to face the Dodgers. If they don't face the Dodgers, they're going to face the Cubs, right? Um, or yeah. the Nationals. Uh, wow, all these teams are really good. Yeah, they're so good. <laughs> the league is so top-heavy right now. Yeah. And then that's why you have teams like the like the Pirates with John Jaso. <laughs> Looking to make uh, a sneak into the playoffs. Yo, don't talk shit on him. That's my guy right there. John Chase is your guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the Astros are really like, if if there is an MLB version of trust the process, I think they are the MLB version of that. Like, they are not willing to like compromise their method. And their method pissed people off when they were terrible for like five years and they were just completely unwatchable. Winning like 60 games a year. Yeah. Not even. So I, I don't think they're willing to like upset that balance necessarily. That being said, like, Baseball is a game where you need to like add all these different pieces and have it come together. Like, like you said earlier about the Dodgers, like there's no ceiling for how much better you can get, and there's also no no floor for how much worse you can get if you have injuries that play your team. Yeah. So if you lose a, a starting pitcher, or I mean they lost Correa, what's to say that he struggles to come back, or you know they lose Altuve, who's who we talked about. He said three sixty this yeah, year. Yeah, well, and McCullers has been injured as well, and and Keuchel, right? And not to mention, there's so much chance when it gets to the playoffs. I mean, it's just whoever's hot at that point, right? Which is why the Dodgers' move for Darvish was so smart because they recognize that there is no ceiling, right? And there is so much chance. So, like, why not compromise slightly? You know, your second base position down the road if you can just add to that uh, possibility of you winning. Yeah, what I mean, it leaves the door open, I feel like, for teams like the Indians who have a guy like Andrew Miller who can help them like mitigate injuries. If the Astros just get decimated by injuries, I'm mean, not saying they they will. I mean, there's a good chance that we just see like Astros Dodgers World Series. Oh yeah. Which would be so fun. I don't even want to talk about that yet just cuz it's <laughs> so exciting. Just the Dodgers starting rotation versus the Astros lineup. You talked about like teams not really going out there and getting better and we were talking about just like organizational strategy when it comes to that and how the Astros are not necessarily the type to really deplete any of their farm system. I don't I don't know too much about the Astros farm system from this point on. I mean, I know they've called up a lot of their guys and they've pretty much all hit. But that kind of brings us to my team, which is the <laughs> Nets, and just how I'm a little worried that they don't really have much of a strategy at this point when it comes to really I mean, when it comes to the trade deadline, I guess, but it's really bigger than that going forward. So teams like that that are kind of like in the middle, where do they go at something like the trade deadline and like the month thereafter? Because the Mets can still move some of their guys if they really want to, if the right deal comes up. We touched on this a little bit earlier, um, just like should they wholesale and try to whatever reset, mean, reboot means. Yeah. And if they do, 
what are they looking to get back? Because they only moved Addison Reed and Lucas Duda, and they didn't really get too much uh, in return. Uh, they DFA'd Josh Edgen, so that was a move. Well, you wouldn't <laughs> want to DFA Josh Smoker because then he couldn't come up, or then he couldn't come in and give up a two-run home run to Chase Utley. That's actually true, though. <sighs> God. <laughs> uh, well, Josh Smoker, six fifty-five ERA. That's good, right? <laughs> that actually is good. Well, it's not as good as his 7 ERA, which he has after last night. Yo, if it was a batting average, it would be amazing. So, <laughs> God damn it. So I think like there probably wasn't much of a market for these guys better than what they ended up getting for them. That being said, like you run the risk, if you don't know exactly what you're doing, you run the risk of just kind of like crossing your fingers at this point. And that's kind of something that you saw with your team the last few years, is that they were willing to sell all their guys, but they weren't selling with a purpose they weren't selling with a plan yeah right so like i don't know where do you stand on that yeah i mean it really it really comes down to what whether you're going to commit to a strategy or not and right now the a's are committing to a rebuild it seems pretty clear i mean they've come out and said it they obviously just dealt sunny gray for three young prospects so it's i don't know i mean you see what the astros and the cubs did right i mean they were willing to take those um few years of losing 100 105 games and as a fan, it's very easy to be like, you know what? I would rather you just commit to that. At the same time, <laughs> those Astros fans are not happy, right? Like, it's re- it's a really hard thing to live through a quote-unquote rebuild. So Also, I'm sure the owner wasn't happy when there was no one in the stands. Uh, yeah, you're not making money. Nope. I mean, they are still making money because, like... <laughs> every, every professional sports team makes money. Otherwise, there wouldn't be professional sports. Yeah. So a- as far as the Mets go, it really is... And I don't... You know, we don't need to dwell too much on what they did at the deadline, but it's... I, yeah, I really don't think... I, I really think this is bigger than the deadline. Like, I really think that they got what they could for yeah. the guys that they had on... That are coming up as free agents. I just really don't think... I think the market was probably very lukewarm for Curtis Granderson and even Luker and warmer for Jay Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's that, it's that, do you commit to a rebuild or a rebuild? Do you commit to a reset? The Mets are in such a tricky position, a tr- trickier than most other teams because they have so much potential and they have so much talent. Right. And so you can't rebuild because you have, if your starting rotations healthy, it's the best in baseball. But when they're not healthy, when you have guys like Cindergaard on the DL and Harvey not being able to stay healthy and is he even good not anymore? Being able, yeah, not being able to pitch even when he is healthy. Oh, right. I mean, and part of that has to do with the injuries that he's gone through, right? And so I think all of it has to do with the injuries. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the right, injuries but, and some other things. But, but it, it speaks to that larger point of like, what do you do in a situation like that? The Mets are in a really unique position because when they're bad they're bad right when they're bad you're starting seth lugo <laughs> that spin rate though dude <laughs> that spin rate is so fire that shit is spinning so hard that it takes runs away from the other team oh my god i like seth lugo uh he's just not he's like a fifth starter maybe borderline <laughs> <laughs> like i think if the mets had their way he wouldn't be a fifth starter uh well if the mets had their way wheeler would be their fifth starter yeah but who's been better this year? They've been about the same. I think like I don't I don't know. Like injuries are random, theoretically. Like in theory, injuries are supposed to be random, but every year the Mets pitching staff has been decimated. Like you know, I was look I looked very deeply into those four guys, Syndergaard, Harvey, Wheeler, and Mats, just looking to see if I could find any type of statistical trend from, you know, season to season, looking to see if anything was interesting for this last third of the season, right? And there is not even data on them long enough 
for complete seasons going back to 20 uh i guess i went back to 2013 because that's when harvey was up first there's not even data going all the way back there to really analyze what these guys do from month to month to month like i just wanted to see like you know is their velocity gonna dip like is Degrom stronger at the end of the season, middle of the season? What I was just curious, and I went into it, and it's just like all of them have like a year and a half, and they have missed. All of them have missed at least like a month or two per season. It's just like at the end of the day, like you gotta reassess. Like something that you're doing is making them get hurt. Well, I mean, injuries in theory are supposed to be random, but then you look at you have a group of men who are doing something that like humans physically shouldn't be doing, right? Like you're not supposed to move your arm that fast. And I know it's like But every it, team has a group of men that humans are not supposed to be doing and not every team is losing their top four starters. Yeah, I guess, but I think very few of them have people who throw this hard, right? Um so yeah, maybe it is something that the Mets are doing. Maybe it is something you have to reassess your coaching staff or what their training uh, regimen looks like. A guy like Syndergaard, I think, is one of those guys who you're going to put all your eggs in one basket with him, but at the same time, the risk there of him getting hurt, I feel like, is higher than it is with most other people. Most guys who maybe uh, work more with control or you know are sitting 92, 93, and even that itself, I think, blows my mind. Like, why aren't those guys just getting hurt on a regular basis? And I guess they are, right? I mean, we are living in... I mean, Kershaw sits 92, 93, and he's hurt every single year. I mean, yeah, I guess he's had a couple injuries. Although I was, I was gonna say I've been surprised at how he's managed to stay relatively healthy. Like I would, Im- all of his injuries are always like tiny things, and they yeah. hold him out for a little like, longer than they should because they don't want to risk it. It's but- like always his back, which like somehow his arm has stayed completely intact. And once again, this is like the knock on wood pod. Like <laughs> we are kind of jinxing everything, but. Yeah, well, his arm is literally a gift from God. Well, and you also see, like, guys are throwing harder and harder, and we're seeing more and more Tommy Johns, right? Like, there is a correlation there. So that's the, again, it comes back to that's the danger, right? You, um, you're you putting everything on this uh, rotation, this starting rotation, but the risk there is higher than putting it on a young shortstop or a trio of incredible outfielders who... I, I think that's true, but I also think... I don't know necessarily and I don't I'm not like privy enough to this information to really know if they rebuilt on pitching on purpose or if they just rebuilt on what they could you know like their drafts yeah I mean they drafted Harvey they they drafted DeGrom later they drafted Wheeler in the first round or no they didn't draft Wheeler they actually got Wheeler in the trade for Beltran but I don't know if necessarily they were like prioritizing it over a bat like because they drafted Conforto high they drafted Nimmo high they obviously drafted Rosario high and gave him the biggest signing bonus in organizational history so I don't know necessarily that they were really intending for this to be their strategy they just kind of this is kind of the hand they were dealt and it's not a bad hand (laughs) not not unless you have to like throw all your cards out right and when it works it works really well because they, they went to the world series and that was before even a guy like Syndergaard was the you know world beating dominant version of himself that we saw last year so i guess it really is just like put all your eggs in one basket and hope for the best but the rest of their moves have to be the rest of their moves have to be with the mindset that they need to mitigate any injuries to starters they, they need like an innings eater you know they can't just be out here throwing out rafael montero every five days like if you really want to be a contending playoff team, you need to have a contingency plan. And the Mets 
throughout all of my life have never had a contingency plan. They've always just crashed and burned. And when they crash and burn, they just continue crashing and burning. They operate on a small payroll. So a relatively small-ish payroll compared to their market size. But that's the thing with like a team like the Dodgers. And God, this is we should just rename this the Dodgers podcast. But when you have a, such a ridiculously high payroll, like the Dodgers or the Yankees, and that's why the Yankees were able to reboot so fast. Well, you, I, I want to cut in there because I don't think it's why they were able to reboot that fast. I mean, I think they made a lot of really smart moves where it was kind of that reset, right? And they didn't expect guys like Judge to get good. And I don't even think they were expecting Didi Gregorius to hit this well. It was, I think there were some savvy moves there, but you know. But I think like the Mets under Sandy Alderson have made some really smart moves too, but they just have not had the depth and the ability to make as many mistakes, right? So, so when a mistake comes up, like someone gets injured, I don't want to necessarily call that a mistake, but for the for the point of this conversation, we'll call that a mistake. If that if that comes up. They don't have a contingency plan because they just don't have a bunch of money to throw at other guys, right? The Cespedes trade was genius. Drafting Conforto, brilliant. Getting Syndergaard as not a throw-in, but getting Syndergaard as part of the package that brought in Darno and moved Ari Dickey, that's a great move. That's on par with any move that the Yankees have made under Brian Cashman. Where it helps is that the big money that they paid to... And this is this is not really affecting this team anymore, but like the big money that they paid to... like. Jason Bay like <laughs> killed them for like three years. <laughs> the big money that they gave to Oliver Perez like killed them for three years. Yeah, that that big money it's like a drop in the bucket for the Yankees and the Dodgers. So they were able to make big mistakes. They were able to give you know thirty million dollars to A Rod in a year that he didn't even play, and they were able to the Dodgers were able to pay out the rest of Carl Crawford's mega terrible contract. Right, and I you know and this comes up a lot. I think when people talk about the Dodgers and how good they are and it's like, oh, well, they can afford to sign Kershaw and they can afford to have Adrian Gonzalez's contract on their payroll while he's going to come back as a backup, you know, um, and Carl Crawford is still on there. Right. So and at the same time, I don't want to I think you do see those the teams with the highest payrolls oftentimes are the better teams. Um, I don't want to use that as a, a way to take away from what the Dodgers have done or what the Yankees have done because it still required a lot of really savvy moves, right? Guys like Seager, uh, guys like Verdugo. I think it does require some uh, really, it requires those same smart moves. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying that it just gives you the lateral uh, room to make those mistakes more or, or come back from them a lot easy when a guy like, you know, for the A's, like Coco Crisp is weighing down your contract in center field. What are you doing with him, right? I mean, a guy like Granderson, you're still paying and he's been okay, but, you know, it's like he's still kind of this dark cloud where you're paying him $17 million a year. Oh, like, don't refer to him as a dark cloud. I love <laughs> him. He's nothing but sunshine. Yeah, and, and it's not just the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Red Sox have done this too. Like the Pablo Sandoval contract doesn't even matter to them. And that's why front office executives want these positions you know that's why the best front office executives don't move from the red Sox to the brewers they move from the red Sox to the cubs um you know theo is not going to go to a small market team because he his brilliance is not going to be shown when you have to like operate under a small market budget because you, you can't go do things like the Quintana trade um Dombrowski comes in and does something like the Chris Sale trade and just eviscerates their minor league system because they know in three years or five years or whatever it is, like if they are, if they don't have any talent left, whatever, we'll just go sign whoever the best free agency or whoever the best free agent is for 
a lot of money like they did with David Price last summer. I mean, I know that hasn't worked out necessarily, but you know that that's a backup option. Like as a Mets fan, I would never even consider looking at David Price. Like I wouldn't even, he's standing off in the corner on the dance floor and I'm like, I'm not going to go over there and approach him to ask him to dance. Like that's not happening. Yeah. Well, it's really annoying too, because the idea of like a small market payroll is such a weird one because all of these owners have the money. They don't want to dedicate it, right? But the A's having the second smallest payroll in baseball or whatever it is, is in theory true on paper, but also why can't you go out and sign a guy like David Price? Like you could if you really wanted to. The owner has the money, but he doesn't want to do that. I mean, maybe the, you know, maybe it's the same with the Mets or the Rays or whatever. They don't want to dedicate this money um, because why? Why? I mean... Yeah, selfishness number one. Yeah. Uh, but so much, so much of the time, like I, I don't want to see them go and give like a huge contract to a pitcher because I know, like a free agent pitcher, because I know that halfway through that strategy where we're like, oh, we're gonna spend more money. Halfway through that strategy, they'll be like, mm, I'm not really feeling this. Like I see this in soccer all the time. Like uh, teams in like Russia will be like, you know what? We want to throw like I don't even crazy stuff like a hundred thousand pounds per week at like this guy who uh, whoever it might be just so we can like lure him away from like a bigger league and draw fans and win our league and then like as soon as it stops working even for like half a season they're like all right let's go back to a small payroll let's uh cut all of our expensive older guys and like as an organization that's not just a very it's just not a very good strategy yeah but they also don't have to do that right i mean and that's you know Obviously, they don't have to do that. But if these owners opened up their pockets a little bit, and I don't want to just be the per- the fan who's like, oh, girl, we should just spend more money on these players. Like, why don't you go just sign Clayton Kershaw? Like, whoa, just the A's should just sign Bryce Harper. Like, yeah, no shit. But yeah, the A's um, actually should sign Bryce Harper. I'm sure he would love that. <laughs> I genuinely cannot picture him in an A's uniform. Like, the image is not even there in my head. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, I ain't met you, I've been looking, stop the waiting for, I stop the chasing like an alcoholic, you don't understand me, what the fuck do you mean, it's them roasted and cheeks, yeah, it's them dirt colored eyes, sugar honey, iced tea, bumblebee on the scene, yeah, I give up my bakery to have a piece of your pie. And one other thing before we uh, move on and start to wrap this up uh, is that idea of like a salary cap, right? And should the MLB have a salary cap? And they negotiated this new uh, collective bargaining agreement in the uh, in like December or whatever, right? And it came down to the wire. And some news that has come out recently, like in the last week or two, which was pointed out to me by my friend Austin. So shouts out to him is this idea that they're going to start... I mean, they already have the luxury tax if you go over and uh, whatever the bar is, like uh, $217 million, right? Um, and the Dodgers absurd. Have, It's absolutely absurd. It's a ridiculous and, you know, amount of money. It's a ridiculous amount of money. And, of course, got, uh, teams like the Dodgers spend $100 million more than that. So they're fine with that. They have the ability to do that. Their payroll is whatever, $300 million, whenever. Um and so they've been consistently hitting that very top bar over the last few years. Um, but something that's interesting that's come out, um, and I think it was picked up first by J.J. Cooper in Baseball America, is that the biggest payrolls could uh, start to be hit with draft pick penalties. So if you go over that highest um, bar, which is over $237 million, which again, ridiculous amount of money you don't need to be spending that type of money oh no man that's like one james harden contract (laughs) if you go over that 
your first round draft pick is bumped down 10 spots, which is, I think, a really interesting strategy um, on the that part. It feels of, not punitive enough, but. it feel, Oh, it's not at all punitive enough. I mean, you could set a real salary cap. It's still one of these things that's like, it doesn't affect, it's not going to affect 28 of the teams in baseball, right? I mean, it's not going to affect, it's not even going to affect people like the Dodgers, right? I mean, it's not going to affect teams like the Blue Jays or whatever it is, um, but it's going to affect the Dodgers and it's going to affect the Yankees. Uh, which is, I think, just interesting because at least if it doesn't even the playing field at all, it at least prevents the Dodgers from going head and shoulders above what the rest of the uh, league average is, right? So maybe they don't they don't have the uh, lateral ability to keep a guy like Carl Crawford on their payroll, or if they do, they're going to have to sacrifice that elsewhere, right? They can't add those extra few million dollars to Clayton Kershaw's contract. How much does it really hurt to lose 10 spots in a draft? I mean, I know it hurts because you might not get like the top, top prospects, but the Dodgers are not getting those top picks anyway. So like you drop down 10 spots, you probably get the guy you wanted anyway. Like the half of these guys hone in on one player and there's so many different positions in baseball and so much of a talent pool to draft from is that not these guys don't even end up wanting the same people. You know what I mean? Like the Mets in the in the draft that they got, I think Nimmo or it might have been Conforto. Like Jose Fernandez went one pick before them, but who's to say the Mets even would have drafted him had he dropped down one more spot? Like they might not have even locked in on him. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I think that the difference between like the top half and the bottom half of the draft is pretty incredible, though. I mean, I don't know, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but like you know, it's it's the difference between. I'm not even going to get a guy. And I know like a, a guy like Mike Trout went in what, the 27th pick or something like that. Um, but I think it does matter to a certain extent. If you're looking at a guy who's like, oh, we can get this guy with the, you know, number nine, number 10 overall pick, number 15 overall pick. That guy, there's arguably no way that guy is going to be there, uh, barring some miracle at the 25th pick or something like that. Yeah, but there, I feel like there's a decent amount of like, how do I say this? It's just like, I feel like there's a decent amount of teams honing in on their guy and being like, we'll get you in like, we'll get you in like the second round, you know, and like, we'll give you a big signing bonus when we do. And like, you know, kind of pretend like you want to go to college yeah. so that teams don't take you in the first all round. These, all these backroom deals that they do yeah. and call them up and give you, we'll, we'll give you an overslot bonus if you don't sign with anyone. Yeah, you right? know that goes, you know that goes on. Like if you indicate to teams that you're going to take your uh, full scholarship and go play at Vanderbilt or whatever it is, like you know that like guys that are falling into the second round are are people that teams wanted to take in the first round. Yeah. So this really is just like one of these cosmetic kind of changes, like air quotes salary caps that isn't really going to do anything. They should just have a salary cap. Like <laughs> it works in other sports and it it especially in the NBA, like I don't know enough about the NFL salary cap um and I won't pretend to, but like in the NBA, it allows for like all of this creative swapping and the thing that the Rockets did with like the Chris Paul trade and they had to move like 20 like small salaries or something to like make it work I love that stuff and and like that is what makes for like a compelling front office story yeah is is that like uh you have to be like creative and that's why the trade machine is so fun for like the NBA you don't see that in baseball like you don't need to make the salaries match you don't need to have like a maximum or minimum number of guys because you have like a forty man roster. Well, I mean, in theory, you do, right? For like the majority of the league, you do. For like, for guys like the Dodgers, the Yankees, they're like, yeah, we'll take on the contract. That's fine. And again, it goes back to owners opening up their pockets too, right? Because the Yankees were like, yeah, the money is here, 
But for these couple years, we're just not going to spend it. So we're just going to uh, manually reduce our payroll, which like, <laughs> which just goes to show you, I think that like a lot of these owners have the ability to do that. And at the same time, you know, so half of them should be opening up their pockets a little bit more to actually make these moves and, you know, alleviate some of the frustration among fans, right? Teams like the Mets, teams like the A's. And the other half of the league should have their salary uh, payrolls cut in half, which, you know, I mean, it, it adds to a more uh, balanced league. And obviously teams are going to find ways around this anyway, but I don't know. Even if it's some, even if it's like some absurdly high number, like there should still be a number on yeah. like the salary cap. Like if, even if it's like, I don't know, like 215 million or like 250 million or something like that, like pretty soon, like these teams are going to start passing that. Like, after next year's free agency class, like whatever team signs Bryce Harper, probably going over that. And so, like the NBA is like right around a hundred, and there's only twelve players on a roster. So the MLB should at least be like I don't know, double that. But whatever it, whatever the math works out to be, like you shouldn't just be able to repeatedly make mistakes and f- pave it over with your pocketbook. Yeah. Oh, totally. And yeah, Bryce Harper's contract is going. His contract is going to equal like. The Mets, Rays, A's, payrolls in 2018, like combined, which, you know, should never happen. You shouldn't have one player over eight years making more than an entire team is willing to spend. I'm all for it, though. Give them 10 years, 420. Oh, I'm so into it. Uh, before we wrap this up, um, we have to do our weekly check-in on the man, Timothy Richard Tebow. Not doing it this week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, give it to me. What do you do this week? Well, other than he uh, allowed Port St. Lucie to break their attendance record, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's like 108,000 for the year. Yeah. Um yeah, they broke a single-season home attendance record, 108,057. So, shouts out to them. Shouts out to Tim Tebow. If you go on the Mets website, you can actually buy like a like a real full stitched Tim Tebow jersey. I'm so about that. I'm surprised I haven't seen more of those at the at the stadium. I guess they're all just like at home praying. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we're going to make Tim Tebow religious jokes every time this segment comes up. Tell me what he did this week. Um, honestly, <laughs> Not much. Um, since we last checked in on our guy, which I believe the last time we checked in on him was July 29th, uh, in that time he's played five games and he went two for 17. So that's good. He didn't walk and he struck out five times. But he doubled. <laughs> oh, that was one of the two hits? <laughs> that was one of the two hits. He had uh, two RBIs. and he, Oh, he had a sacrifice. What is his average up to for the year now? Um, I think he's hitting around... 270 or so yeah he's hitting well uh, at st Lucie, he's hitting 273 he's hitting 239 on the year but 239 Damn, last week he was hitting over 300 when we checked in on him uh yeah <laughs> so a little bit of a <laughs> that small cold sample streak size. right there yeah. <laughs> small sample size can get you both ways my dude's double-edged sword will tim tebow ever make the majors i'm gonna i was about to say no and i thought about it and I say he has like a forty percent chance. I'm not even kidding. Like, 
(laughs) (laughs) Like, if you think about, okay, say this Mets team doesn't work out. Say Syndergaard has trouble coming back from his injury, which, again... Bite your tongue. Knock on wood. (laughs) But, you know, say something happens and this core doesn't work out for them. I think it is not a stretch to say that maybe they call him up um, literally for monetary purposes in, you know, 2018, 2019. The thing oh, is, he think? is 30, like, right? He's 30 already. So if it doesn't happen by then, it's probably not going to, he's probably just going to hang it up himself, you know? Yeah. And I th- I think they will get lambasted if he's hitting like 210, hitting like 180 in AAA. And they're like, yeah, we're going to call him up in September anyway. Like, I think they will get panned pretty hard for that. Especially and- because they are so adverse to calling people up, <laughs> as we saw. Over the last two months with Rosario, and they still haven't even called up Smith. So if they called up Tebow... Yo, yeah, what are the odds that Tebow has less minor league time than <laughs> a guy like Ahmed Rosario? <laughs> you know uh, what? Here's the thing is fans are going to be like, Sandy, what on earth are you doing? Why are you calling this guy up? And then they're going to be like, yo, I'm so going to see a game. Oh, I would even... No matter where I am, because 2018, 2019, whatever, who knows? We'll be graduated. I don't, I don't know if I'll be in New York City or not. United uh, States of America, will it still exist? Let me know. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so wherever I am, if Tim Tebow gets called up to the majors, oh, I'm there. Oh, you know we're going. Oh, I am absolutely there. Oh, we're buying tickets to the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> he goes 0 for 9 with 7 Ks. I am so about that. If he hits a home run in the majors, get out. <laughs> get out. I'm having a second. I'm having a reborn to Jesus moment. <laughs> if he hits a home run in the majors, it's literally an act of God. I think Sports Center's set will just explode if he hits a home run in the majors. You're not wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, that is enough of Tim Tebow for this week and probably the weeks to come. Um, <laughs> literally forever. <laughs> <laughs> every week we're going to do this and we're going to check in. It's going to be like, he went five for 18. Whoa, that's better. He hit 240 this week. Whoa. Oh, look at that. He had four RBIs. He walked once. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we gotta give the people what they want, and it's Tim Tebow news, clearly. Yeah, message message us if you don't want Tim Tebow news. Otherwise, we're just gonna keep doing it. No one's listening this late anyway. Nope. So All right. Um, so that just about wraps it up for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Tune in next week.